The following audio is from Hope Hill Church. To learn more about Hope Hill Church, please visit hopehillchurch.org.
mean, we could just wrap it up right there, can't we? <clears throat> That's what this is about. That's what the Gospel of John is about. That's what the mission of Jesus is about. We're going to see in part two today. For those of you that weren't here with us last week, I'll summarize for you. We're in the Gospel of John, chapter four. We started this journey a couple months ago, and we're just plodding through, uh, listening to the story of, of one of Jesus' best friends as he tells us reason after reason, story after story, example after example of why we should believe in a God who's come to make us new. Jesus came from the beginning, set out with a mission and continues on, story after story, chapter after chapter. We're going to say the same thing over and over again, that Jesus has come to set us free. He has come to do the Father's will. He has come to be our sacrificial lamb to take away the sins of the world. He has come to be the source of living water in our lives, cleansing us, transforming us, and making us new. Last week we saw in John chapter 4, Jesus arrives in a town called Samaria, a town that Jewish people did not go, unless they had to. And according to John chapter 4, we see that Jesus had to go. Most Jews traveling from Jerusalem to Galilee, Jesus' hometown, Capernaum, would have taken the outskirts, the journey around Samaria, but the Bible tells us that Jesus had to go. He had a divine appointment, and we're about to see why. We see that he goes to Samaria. He's got his disciples with him. They've been journeying with him as he's been raising them up and calling them to, to become fishers of men instead of just fishermen. He's been calling tax collectors to leave the life of thievery and stealing behind to follow him. And, and, and he is now about to blow their minds. He's been in Jerusalem. He just left the temple during the festival of Passover where many people were coming and just checking off their religious duty thinking that they could somehow appease God by just checking a box, by paying a temple tax, by buying a quick sheep and giving it for sacrifice. And Jesus walks into the midst of that temple and says, you've made my father's house instead of a house of prayer, it's a den of thieves. You, you've missed the point. Instead of this being a place of brokenness and seeking after the heart of God, you're just here to check a quick box and get on with your life. And here we see Jesus now journeying towards Galilee with his disciples. And he decides to stop in, of all places, Samaria. As I talked about last week, Samaritans were... They were the outcasts. They were the half-breeds. Earlier in the years throughout the Old Testament, we see the Assyrian Empire came in, and the Jewish people that were there were conquered, and the Jews intermarried with the Assyrians and started, instead of just worshiping God, they started worshiping the false idols and the, the teachings of, the, of Assyria. And, and, and the Jews looked at them as sellouts, rejects, half-breeds. And yet Jesus takes the mission there. Let's pick up our story in verse 26. 
Jesus said to her, the woman, I who speak am he. The very first I am statement that Jesus is going to say of seven key I am statements in the book of John. You see, he arrived at about noon on this day. In the heat of the day, wearied from travel, Jesus is thirsty. Jesus, being God, was also fully man. And the Bible says, as we were tempted and as we struggled, he did too. He was thirsty. And so a woman walks up about the sixth hour noon, midday. No one else is there. She avoided the earlier crowds for a number of reasons. Not wanting to be shamed anymore because of her lifestyle or her circumstances. She comes in at around noon. And Jesus is there, and she approaches the well, Jacob's well, with the jar. Coming to get water for all the things water's needed for her family. Maybe, maybe she's got, we don't know if she has children. We don't know if she was barren. Some, some theologians think that she was, had five different husbands because back in that day, a woman couldn't get a divorce. A man couldn't divorce a woman, though, if she was barren and couldn't produce children. So maybe man after man decided to give her up. We don't know exactly. But for whatever reasons, five husbands and the husband she's with now is not actually a husband. He's refusing to marry her. She comes with a jar of water, a jar for water. And Jesus says, can I have a drink? And she's taken aback. She, she can tell he's Jewish. And she says, why are you, a Jew, talking to me, a Samaritan, and you're a man and I'm a woman? Back then, in those days, men and women didn't talk unless you were a family member or a spouse. Women were second-class citizens. They were really property. All of who she was was wrapped in, up in the five different men that she had been married to. And here she is wondering why this man is talking to her, a woman. Back then, rabbis did not talk to women. It just didn't happen. Those of us who were just in uh, Israel, we saw this kind of thing unfolding. Many different sites we went to, there was an entrance for men, there was an entrance for women. Even when we went to the Wailing Wall, the West Wall, there was an entrance for men and an entrance for women. Many of the Orthodox Jews were very careful. You'd be walking down the street, and they would go way out of their way if there was a woman close for fear that they might even just brush the shoulder with a woman and then make themselves unclean. Women were not treated very well. And yet Jesus is breaking all cultural norms. First going to Samaria and then talking to a woman. But the Bible tells us in chapter 1, I mean chapter 4, verse 1, that he had to go. The whole purpose of Jesus' life is to dismantle all forms of Jewish religion and Jewish structure and to turn it on its head and to show them all the ways they've got it wrong and to show them the way to true life. The very place that despised and rejected and avoided is the place where Jesus takes the mission. We're in the very beginning of the ministry of Jesus' life. The first three, the, the last three years of his ministry were the years that he was out and displaying who he was. And the very first 
place we see him take the mission to as he leaves Jerusalem is Samaria. This is why we must never forget that the mission is not just for those sitting in the seats. That is why we often will pause our regular scheduled program and go out and do precincts or back your Bible clubs or backpacks and burger events. And we have been called to go, not to simply rent a building or build a building and hope they come. Here, Jesus is demonstrating the mission. is leading by example and going to those most would not even think of going. So look what happens here. Just then, he just finished up this conversation. He just told this woman that he has living water that he's offering her. She's not done anything to earn it. She's not even yet repented. And Jesus is saying, if you knew who you were talking to, you would ask me. And I would give you living water. Well, sir, give me this living water. Jesus continues the conversation. And Jesus says, I am the Messiah. Verse 25, the woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming. Who will be called the Christ or who is called the Christ? When he comes, he'll explain all this to us. And Jesus looks her in the eye and says, I who speak to you. I am. I am he. I am the Messiah. I come to give you living water. Just then, the disciples are on their way back. They're coming back. And when they get on the scene, look what gets their attention. The first thing to get their attention, they marveled that he was talking to a woman. These are the followers, the disciples. Jesus is doing ministry. He's changing this woman's heart. He's changing her life. And they walk up and go, oh my goodness. But nobody has the courage to say anything. Look what it says. They marveled that he was talking to a woman, but no one said, Who do you, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? Distracted by the cultural barriers of the day, they could not see the work that Jesus was doing. So they walk in thinking, what in the world What's going on here? This is scandalous. The woman is not even phased. The woman is totally caught up in what is happening. In the span of one verse, Jesus saying to her, I am the Messiah. The disciples walking in and her all of a sudden realizing he is the Messiah. What does she do? She's not caught off guard by these men walking up. She's not thinking about what are others going to think if they see me talking to this man. What does she do? Verse 28. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Many of the theologians and commentators I was reading preparing for this noted that that day she came with a jar looking for a jar to be filled with water, and she left with the well. What am I talking about? Look at verse 14 with me. Jesus said to her, verse 13, Everyone who drinks of this water, the water in the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give, 
they will never be thirsty again. He continues on, and this is the key phrase. The water that I give them will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus did not just come to quench our thirst. Many of us were longing and searching for things to make us happy, to satisfy, to fill our life, to quench our thirst. And there are many things that this world has to offer to try and appease you for a moment. But in the end, they all run dry. Jesus says, the water I give you will leave you never thirsty again. But Jesus didn't come just simply to quench our thirst. And he didn't come simply just to give us eternal life. Many of us live that kind of life, though, thinking, you know what? I've come to know Jesus. I'm saved. I'm good. I'm going to worship him. I'm going to pray. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm good. I'm not going to disrupt you. You can believe what you want. I know I'm going to heaven, though. I'll pray for you. Jesus came to not give us water that we would simply drink on our own, but that would well up within our soul and spring forth. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. To nourish and refresh and cleanse all who would be around you and receive it. Jesus had a masterful way of speaking the language of the day. This woman knew exactly what he was referring to. In Jewish culture, in Jewish society, and for those of you that made your trip to Israel with us or have been on your own, you walk around all of the different towns and villages, and what you see are these ceremonial cleansing tubs everywhere called mikvahs. And it was mandated by Jewish law that you would have to regularly take a bath in these, and, and they, would make you, they would make you spiritually clean. They would keep you being able to approach the Father in the heavens. And it was something that you had to do ritually, regularly, and often. They were everywhere. We went to a town, a town that, that is thought where Mary Magdalene lived. And we saw this mikvah, this, this just in the ground. Uh, but even they were into tiling their showers and bathtubs. And there was the, the tile they laid back then is still there for you to see today. It's amazing. Thousands of years old, and it's still there. And our guide pointed out a naturally flowing spring feeding this mikvah. In order for a mikvah to be able to be used, it, it, it's stated according to Jewish law that it must be fed by a natural spring or naturally occurring water. And these, according to Jewish rituals, had to bathe. You had to bathe in this for purity and hygiene. Uh, whenever somebody converted to putting their faith in the, the God of the Jews, they would be bathed in this uh, baptism in a sort of way. And even individuals who were about to enter a marriage covenant would be bathed in this cleansing tub. Over and over again, Jews would go to these hoping to keep themselves clean. Jesus stands in front of this woman and says, once I clean you, you don't need to be cleaned by anything else. Once I give you the water, I will put inside of you 
a naturally, supernaturally, Holy Spirit-driven spring that will well up from inside you. No longer having to depend on the Jewish rites and rituals of being subject to... Now, it's good to take a bath. Very important. But there was no dependence on that which was man-made. Jesus came to be our cleansing, to be the well spring of water, welling up in our souls, purifying us like nothing else ever could. Jesus came to put within us the only mikvah we would ever need. In that moment, we also see that this woman's identity is changed. For years, she's been wrapped up in being somebody else's property from one husband to the next. And now Jesus has come and changed her life forever. He's changed her from being one who thirsts to one who now is able to give living water. From one who is broken to one who loves and leads others to life. From one who was lost searching for her own identity and one relationship after another to one who was found by the God become man. From one who was a bearer of guilt and shame to one who now brings freedom and hope. From one who came thirsty, needing a jar of water, leaving the well in her soul. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that when Christ, when you come to Christ, you become a new creation. All the old is gone. And in an instant, the new has come. He transformed her life span of a moment. And her natural response was to go and share it with the world. Luke 7.47 says, to whom much is forgiven. Luke 7.47 tells us about a woman who had many sins, but because she was forgiven much, she then went and loved see that response here from this woman changed forever. A spring of living water welling up inside of her soul. And so she leaves her jar and she runs to tell the town what has happened. Verse 30. Verse 29. Come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Can this be the Messiah? They went out of town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, disciples show up on the scene. So this has been, this exchange, this conversation has been taking place. The disciples walk up and see Jesus talking to a woman. Nobody says it, but they all think it. Why is he talking to her? She all of a sudden leaves her jar and runs off. And the only thing they can think of is, hey, guys, it's lunchtime. Hey, Rabbi time to eat. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. So the disciples said to one another, which one of you gave him a sandwich? So many times we are so consumed with our our fleshly needs that we miss the big picture. We miss 
the Holy Spirit moving because we're thinking about what needs to be done next, what belly needs to be filled, what hunger craving am I having, what to-do list do I have to check. Even this week, I caught myself getting all wrapped up, literally consumed, unable to sleep with a couple trivial matters. It was our VBS week at the Hope House. And I showed up frustrated and stressed and worried and concerned, wondering how I was going to fix a few things to save our church a couple hundred bucks. And it was consuming me. And yes, it's good for us to be good stewards, and I'm going to do the best I can. We as a team are going to do the best we can to uh, make sure our money does what it should do. But it was consuming me. And it wasn't until the end of VBS that night when Gary was there sharing the gospel and all of these little children and teenagers and parents, moms and dads, sitting there hearing the beautiful story of Jesus coming to transform us. And at the end, he says, if any of you here today want to know Jesus as your Savior, you want to invite him into your life to transform you, to be your friend forever, will you raise your hand? And all across that yard, hands went up. Here I am worrying about whether or not we're going to eat. And Jesus is changing lives. The disciples show up on the scene. Who fed them? John makes a point in the first four chapters to point out so many times our spiritual blindness. In John chapter 2, Jesus shows up at a wedding. And they're all worried about the wine that's run out. And he sits there and performs a miracle telling them, it's not about this wine. It's about the wine that you will drink, remembering my blood shed for you, as you not only prepare for this wedding, but the greater wedding, the wedding of the, uh, of the Lamb, when, when I will bring my bride, the church, to myself. You don't have to bathe yourself in these bathing jars. I've come to shed my blood to cleanse you of all of your sin. And then later, he's in a conversation in the temple, And they're worrying about checking a box and giving the right sacrifice and paying a temple tax. And he said, if you destroy this temple, I'll rebuild it in three days. And they're like, what? It took 46 years. How are you going to do that? They were spiritually blind. They didn't know he was talking about his body being the temple. The temple was a place where God would come to meet with man. And Jesus was standing there saying, I am God in flesh. I've come to meet with you and you're blind to it. With Nicodemus. In order for you to see the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. But I'm an adult. How am I supposed to crawl in my mother's womb? Not getting it. With this woman, if you knew who you were talking to, you would ask me for living water, and I would give you living water. But you don't have a bucket, sir. How are you going to give me water? Spiritually blind. And the disciples, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Who gave them a sandwich? My hope and my heart And my prayer is that our eyes would not be spiritually blinded. That we would see the hurt and the the broken in every sphere of influence that we walk in. Everywhere we eat, sleep, play, study, shop. The schools that you're about to go back to. Your classrooms when you're sitting around. there There are kids that God has put in your life, in your classes. And it's not random. He had to do it. The Holy Spirit is going to lead people into your life who he wants you to reach. I have food to eat that you don't know anything about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? 
Jesus said to them, just to make it, make it somewhat understandable, he gives them a, 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 a short parable, a saying about harvest time. A lot of Jesus' teachings were about the time of the day. They, they were familiar with harvest. They were familiar with farming. And so he says, do you not say that there are four months and then comes the harvest? You know, you've got to plant, you've got to sow, you've got to wait, you've got to reap. But I'm here to tell you, I'm here to turn everything on its head. You don't need to wait the four months, he says. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see. You don't have to wait. The fields are ready now. The fields are white for harvest. Later, he'll say, pray to the Lord of the harvest to raise up workers. For the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Don't, you don't need to wait. I'm already working. There's work being done, and it's now time to reap. The sowing has happened. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are ready. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. Back in Amos chapter 9, verse 13, there's a prophecy that a day is coming when the, when the plower, the guy sowing, will overtake the reaper because As God is plowing up the fields and the reaping is happening, it will all happen at the same time. And Jesus is doing it. The Holy Spirit says, no one comes to the Father unless I draw them. And the Holy Spirit is at work. We are in the time of the harvest. The harvest is now. So the matter is urgent. But we, like disciples who have been saved many times, we're just concerned about what our next meal is instead of all of the people who are ready to be reached. Jesus makes it clear and says to them, the harvest is ready. I sent you to reap, verse 38. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Who did the labor that day? Jesus had this conversation with this woman. It prepared her heart. She's now having a conversation with the people who are now coming. In verse 30, they went out and were coming to him. Look at verse 39. Many Samaritans in that town believed in who? Believed in who? Jesus and him because of the woman's testimony. What was her, her testimony? He told me all I ever Sometimes we complicate the mission. Well, I got to make sure I have a degree before I can go and tell others about Jesus. I got to make sure that I, I know everything and that I might lead someone to hell if I say it wrong. Her message was this simple This man knew everything I did, and yet he forgave me. Come and meet the Messiah. That is our message. And our mission is to go. This woman in very real sense, was the first missionary ever sent by God. Think about it. A second-class, rejected woman from a culture rejected is chosen by God and sent to transform a town. Men and women, Jew, Gentile, Greek, Hebrew, we are all equal at the foot of the cross. No matter what your past or your present is, Jesus wants to give you a well of living water inside of your soul that leaps, that, that, that 
burst forth to eternal life, not just for yourself, but all those that God puts around you. And the people responded because of her testimony. Many times, God will do the most work in us in our deepest and darkest areas. Jesus spoke into the darkness of her life and made her whole. And she went to town and said, I wanted to tell you about a man who knew everything I ever did. Come and see. Jesus plainly, clearly shares with us that his mission, his food, his nourishment, his purpose is to do the will of the Father. And his will ultimately led him to the cross where he gave up his life for us in our place. His will is to reach us, to transform us, and to send us. And he sends us into a place where he is already laboring. The Holy Spirit is already working to reach your coworker, to reach your neighbor, to reach your classmate. And he invites us into the field where he is already at work. It's such a blessing to realize that no matter how dark our past, how far off the path we have ever strayed or gone, he welcomes us back and invites us to the mission. He's here to do that for you, for me. In the video we played at the beginning showed the lives of so many people wrapped up in their gossip and their sin and their shame and their lust and their addictions. And Jesus comes to wipe our slates clean and to give us new life. Verse 39, as we wrap up, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two more days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. So, wherever you are today, whatever you've done, Jesus wants to quench your thirst, to give you a new identity and a new purpose and a mission. For those of you who have tasted and seen that God is good, you've received that water that he has to provide. The question is, is are you holding it in or are you letting that that well spring up in your life to lead to eternal life for those that God has placed around you? Some of us, we've received just enough, just uh, enough to inoculate us to the will of God in our life. We think that we've somehow attained what we need by putting our own belief 
The disciples were in the right place doing the right things, but they were totally blind to what Jesus was doing right in front of them. God has transformed you so that he can use you as an instrument to help transform others. Are you allowing the Holy Spirit to flow through you? In our churches, we can be so distracted at times with the things that we feel are necessary. And just ask our setup and teardown team. I'll walk these halls and I'll do my best to make sure signs are straight. The chairs and masculine were even. I was so many times distracted by things that are important. Straight chairs are important. I'm glad these are fastened down in rows. They don't distract me while I'm looking out. But what is the mission? What is really important is not how good our music is, how funny the teaching can be, how loud the music is or not loud enough. The important thing is about the will of God, seeing people broken and lost, coming to find new life in Him. And us continuing that mission. Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Many believed in Him because of her testimony, and many will believe in Him because of your testimony. Father God, I thank you that you are a God that heals, that restores, that makes new. You take broken things and make masterpieces. I thank you that you are a God that that has a mission, that you invite us to be a part of, that you invite us each and every day to step into the harvest. It is plentiful to join you in the work that you're doing to bring others to you. So God, I pray that you would pierce our hearts that you would give us a burden for those who do not yet know you, that you would help us to find the simple ways to share your gospel, to share your love with those who so desperately need to know you as Savior and Lord. I also pray, Lord Jesus, for those in this room who may have felt like they are just too far gone. There is nothing to 
thinking we will quench our thirst. Help us, like the woman at the well, to leave these earthly jars behind, to embrace the fullness of the spring of living water that you offer to any who would receive it. Come and fill us, Lord Jesus, with your love, your forgiveness, and help us to now embrace your mission as you send us as your church out into the fields that are white and ready for harvest. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room who know you as Savior and Lord, who know your forgiveness, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would lead us from this place, and with boldness and courage, you'd help us to help others see who you are. And that by our testimony, many would come to know you, our Savior and As we begin to respond now through a time of worship, I want to invite you to, to pray about the challenges that we've put forth today. And let us remember that it's only possible because of what Jesus did for us in our place. He went to that cross. On the night before he went to the cross, he took a cup and he took bread. And he broke the bread and said to his friends, this bread is a symbol of my body broken for you. This cup is a symbol of my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Every time you eat of this cup, eat of this bread and drink of this cup, remember what I've done for you. In the four corners of this room, we have a cup and we have bread. And for those of you that have come to know Jesus as your Savior, we want to invite you to come and remember what Jesus did for you. And as you eat of this bread and dip in the cup and taste of this, this juice as a symbol of his blood, let us worship and remember and then be encouraged to leave this place on mission for him. If there's something going on in your life that is weighing you down, Jesus is here to set you free. And we would love to have an opportunity to pray with you. So as we wrap up in our time of worship, I'll be standing out here in front. We'll have some prayer teams in the back. If you want to come to any of us, we'd love to pray with you about whatever it is that is weighing you down. Let us pray for you and lift you up. So, Father God, move among us now and help us to respond as your Holy Spirit leads. In your name we pray. Would you stand and let's respond now, taking communion and praying as he leads us.